Our study will start in Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 to 15. Genesis 4, verses 1 to 15. And in the next hour, we'll finish this chapter. That is verses 16 to 26. Genesis 4, verse 1. Now the man had relations with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. And she said, I have gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. And again she gave birth to his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of flocks, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground, and Abel on his part also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering, but for Cain and for his offering he had no regard. So Cain became very angry and his countenance fell. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for you, but you must master it. And Cain told Abel his brother, and it came about when they were in the field, that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you cultivate the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. You shall be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is too great to bear. Behold, you have driven me this day from the face of the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden, and I shall be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth. And it will come about that whoever finds me will kill me. So the Lord said to him, Therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance will be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord appointed a sign for Cain, lest anyone finding him should slay him. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, as we approach your word, we confess that it is the true word of God. It is the gospel, it is the word of Christ, necessary for us to know for our salvation. We pray, Father, that you'll draw us near to you as we seek to study this portion of it and help us to understand who you are, who we are, and this relationship to Christ, our Lord and Savior, that we might see the gospel here and believe it better, understand it better, and obey it in all of its aspects. Grant us your presence and grant us your wisdom by your Holy Spirit. In the name of Christ, amen. When we study this chapter, Genesis chapter 4, I believe that we can break up the aspects or the events of this chapter into three categories of doctrine. That is, the first one, we will see the doctrine of God's effective or sovereign grace. God's effective and sovereign grace, which we will see in particular with Adam and Eve and with Abel, and then their son Seth, and then Enosh. And also at the very end of the chapter, when it says that men began to call upon the name of the Lord. That will be one degree or one kind of God's grace, God's love, his mercy on the earth, and that is for his people, the elect, the ones that he has chosen, that this group receives his grace, his effective, definite, sovereign grace for their salvation and for their sustenance in this life until they meet the Lord face to face. That's the first aspect or kind of grace we see here. A second one we will see is a temporary spiritual grace, a temporary spiritual grace which is given to the reprobate or to the wicked. This temporary spiritual grace, in a sense it's a superficial it has aspects of spiritual blessings and has even aspects of physical blessings, but it is a temporary grace, a temporary grace. The best example of that in this chapter for the spiritual and the physical kind is Cain himself, Cain. He is a reprobate, a wicked man, an unbeliever in this chapter and throughout the Bible, and he had experiences with God and interactions with God and the Word of God, yet he rejected it. And he eventually exposed himself as being an unbeliever and a reprobate. Then the third example we might call, this will also be temporary, but it 
is often known as common grace. Common grace in which God endows people with natural gifts, and these natural gifts or physical gifts and physical blessings help them in their life to enjoy life, have a good life, have good health, have wealth, have prosperity in their undertakings, they have children, so on, they have great skills, things of, of that nature. This is common grace. And this is most evident in the descendants of Cain, Cain and his descendants, which will be in the second part of this chapter. This is the paradigm, I believe, we have throughout the Bible. That is, we have effective grace, then we have temporary spiritual and physical grace, and then we have common grace, which is mostly natural gifts and mostly physical in terms of blessings. That whether that is children or whether that is uh, having a house, having plenty of cl clothing and food, whatever that might be, that's in the third category of common grace. Common grace and the second category of temporary spiritual grace do not result in salvation. Right. That's a key component of understanding this, these degrees or kinds of grace in the scripture. And for that matter, we have not mentioned prevenient grace. There is a doctrine known as prevenient grace, which is not found in the Bible. That doctrine of prevenient grace is not found in the Bible. There are some verses taken out of context to support it, but it's actually not found. Okay, so keeping that in mind, let's see in detail chapter 4, verses 1 to 15. Verse 1, Now the man had relations with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. And she said, I have gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. The man here, of course, is Adam. Adam has been mentioned in the previous chapter in various verses. In chapter 3, for example, in verse 21, and the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. The man there is Adam. We have only Adam and Eve, our first parents in the human race. They are the first ones. So, as God said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, Genesis 1 28. So they do. They have marital relations, and Eve conceives and gives birth to Cain. Cain, um, it may mean a gotten one or acquired one, and that's why she says, I have gotten or acquired a man-child with the help of the Lord. This she declares probably because of Genesis 3.15. In Genesis 3.15, God said, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. Eve makes this declaration of receiving a man-child or a male child with the help of the Lord because she knows that the Lord had promised to have one of her descendants, a man among her descendants, to be the Christ, to be the Savior of the world the singular seed of Genesis 3.15. She is hopeful and she is happy in expectation that he will come into the world. That is likely what is happening here in verse 1. Then she has a second child. And again she gave birth to his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of flocks, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. Abel is a shepherd and Cain is a farmer. This, these are their occupations. Then, based on their occupations, they present offerings. Verses 3 and following. So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. Note carefully, Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. That sounds fine and it sounds good on the surface, but notice the contrast. Cain brought an offering from the fruit of the ground. Next is verse 4. And Abel on his part also brought of the firstlings of his flock. Notice there. Firstlings of his flock and of their fat portions. He brought firstlings and fat portions of the firstlings. He didn't just bring an offering. He brought that. And he also brought a blood offering, not a grain offering. He brought one offering that is more valuable, he brought the blood offering of the animals. Then it says in verse 4, And the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering, 
But for Cain and for his offering, he had no regard. There's a contrast now. God had regard. God esteemed. God received. He accepted Abel and his offering. Notice that phraseology. God had regard for Abel, the person, and he had regard for Abel's offering. God did not regard, God did not esteem or receive Cain, verse 5, but for Cain and for his offering he had no regard. God did not regard Cain and he did not regard Cain's offering, both. In other words, we see God sees faith in Abel, therefore Abel's offering is acceptable to God and Abel does it in the right way. He presents the right kind of offering. Cain does not have faith, and therefore Cain does not present to the Lord the proper offering. Both are in view, and in contrast, Abel and Cain. Abel with true faith and a good offering, Cain without faith and without the true or the right offering. Let's see some verses that confirm this interpretation. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4. Hebrews 11, verse 4. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous, God testifying about his gifts, and through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. By faith, Abel. Abel had faith, and because he had faith, he offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain. Cain did not have faith, therefore he did not offer the proper sacrifice. And he obtained testimony about that he was righteous. He obtained the testimony that he was righteous by the declaration of the Holy Spirit through Moses writing Genesis chapter 4, but also by God's declaration to Cain later in this narrative that if you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? You know what's right. You know what's good. You know what I expect. I already told you. I taught your parents Adam and Eve is the implication. And since I taught them, you should know to have faith and you should know to bring the proper sacrifice to God. That's God's rebuke and confrontation of Cain. So he did obtain the testimony that he was righteous. God testifying about his gifts. That's Genesis 4. He testified. And through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. Why is Genesis 4 recorded? Is it there for a vain purpose? No. Genesis 4, and for that matter, the Bible is recorded so that we might understand what true faith is and, in contrast, what false faith is. Now, these things happen as examples that, to us so that we should not crave evil things as they also craved. 1 Corinthians 10.4 And as well... In Romans 15, 4, whatever happened in earlier times happened for our instruction that we, through perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures, might have hope. Romans 15, 4. Whatever is written in the Bible is written to show us models of true faith and models of false faith. That's why this is recorded, and that's why Hebrews eleven four says that he, though he is dead, he still speaks. He speaks by his example. And in fact, his death, which we will speak of more later, Abel's death, Abel's persecution, which culminated in his death, is a symbol and a sign, a type and a shadow of the death of Christ, which Hebrews 12, 24 says that we come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood, which speaks better than the blood of Abel, which speaks better than the blood of Abel. Now, to confirm that Abel was righteous, not only from Hebrews, but let's turn to Matthew 23. Matthew 23, verse 35. 2335. We'll start at verse 34. 2334. Therefore, behold, I am sending you prophets and wise men and scribes. Some of them you will kill and crucify, and some of them you will scourge in your synagogues and persecute from city to city, that upon you may fall the guilt of all the righteous blood shed on earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Barakiah, 
whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Truly I say to you, all these things shall come upon this generation. All of the righteous blood, since Abel, he calls Abel righteous, the blood of righteous Abel. He was in the train of righteous men, scribes, and prophets. Another example is Luke 11, Luke 11 and verse 51. Luke 11, 51 will begin at verse 49. 11, 49. For this reason also the wisdom of God said, I will send to them prophets and apostles, and some of them they will kill and some they will persecute, in order that the blood of all the prophets shed since the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the house of God. Yes, I tell you, it shall be charged against this generation. Abel was righteous. That's evident from Genesis 4 and in these other passages of Scripture. In contrast, remember it says in Genesis 4, 5, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. God had no regard for Cain and his offering. This is further mentioned in Jude 11. Jude 11. Jude has this discourse against false teachers, those who infiltrate the church, and he says in Jude 11, Woe to them, for they have gone the way of Cain. They have gone the way of Cain. Cain was in a righteous family. Adam and Eve and Abel were, were righteous. They were righteous. Cain was in that family. He was in the midst of the people of God, in that microcosm of the family, the initial family. He was there. And in the same way, Jude says that in the local church family, there will be those who go the way of Cain. Who go the way of Cain. Obviously, he, des- he is describing a false teacher, a false brother, somebody who is a pretender and dangerous. He puts Cain in the category in verse 11, and for pay, they have rushed headlong into the air of Balaam and perished in the rebellion of Korah. Just as Balaam and Korah were false teachers, false believers, so was Cain. And next is 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. We'll begin at verse 10. 1 John 3, 10 to 15. By this the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. For this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of the evil one, and slew his brother. And for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil, and his brothers were righteous. Do not marvel, brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life, because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. No murderer has eternal life abiding in him because he's hateful and it manifests itself in murder, slaying or killing another human being, an innocent human being. That's what Cain did to Abel, his brother. He did not love his brother. And from the beginning, from the beginning of creation, with the first family, it was understood that they ought to love God and love their neighbor as themselves. That was understood. That was taught. And yet Cain did not do so. And he didn't do so because he was of the evil one. He was of the devil. The devil, from Genesis 3, he influences people to commit sin. He influences them to commit sin. And that's whose father Cain had. He had the devil as his father. Cain was a son of the devil. That's why he did what he did in not having faith and having the wrong offering. Now let's notice the reaction of Cain. The reaction of Cain, Genesis 4, verse 5. In the middle it says, So Cain became very angry and his countenance fell. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry and why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for you. But you must master it. 
Cain is very angry. He has a sad and despondent face. He's not a happy and joyful man. He does not have the joy of the Spirit. He does not rejoice in the things of God. He is moping and groping all around because things are not going his way. He wants the favor of God without obeying God. Notice, he wants God to bless him though he refuses to have faith in him and to obey him. Is this not typical of superficial people in spiritual and physical circumstances? They want to claim God, they want to be associated with God to the extent that it benefits them in whatever human ways that they can see. When actually they're not thinking about eternity and the unseen world, they're not thinking about eternal life and forgiveness of sins, they're thinking about their current benefits. How can I use the name of God and have God still like me and God still do good things to me? That's what's in their head. That's what was in Cain's head. And that's what drove him to anger. He's angry at God because God will not accept him in his unbelief and in his disobedience. Then, because he cannot take out his anger directly at God, God is invisible, God is omnipotent, he cannot take it out on the unseen God, God is spirit, John 4, 24. He cannot do that, he cannot punch God in the face, right? He cannot chop off the head of God, so what does he do? He gets angry and takes it out on his brother. Then God further confronts him in verse 7. If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? That question assumes that Cain was taught the gospel, that Cain was taught properly to offer sacrifices in faith. He needed to have true faith and to offer a true, proper sacrifice. And he would have learned from Adam and Eve. Remember in Genesis 3.21 that God killed the first animals to clothe Adam and Eve. He clothed them and taught them the meaning of sacrifice. And that's why Adam taught Eve, uh, Eve that and Adam taught his sons that, Abel and Cain. And they brought to God what they were supposed to bring. God reminds him, God reminds Cain, if you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? Don't you understand that if you have faith and you practice righteousness manifested in one way by a proper sacrifice, that you'll have joy, you'll have peace, you'll have reconciliation, you'll have a clean conscience, you won't be guilty, you won't be angry, none of those other things will happen? Don't you realize that? Because I already taught you that. I taught you that through your parents. And the contrary, and if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door and its desires for you, but you must master it. I taught you both the righteous way and the wicked way. I taught you both the way of life and the way of death. I taught you the way of doing well and of not doing well. I taught you the way of holiness and the way of sin. I taught you all that. Don't you realize sin is crouching at the door and its desire is for you, but you must master it. Wasn't that the way the serpent came in the garden? He came stealthily. He came in a sneaky way. He came in a deceptive way. He came in a way that disarmed Adam and Eve, especially Eve. He disarmed Eve and then used the word of God partially and twisted it and mangled it and presented it to Eve and Adam that way and made them distrust the goodness of God, the ways of God, and made them trust their own wisdom and the wisdom of the devil. Sin was crouching at the door. It was lurking in secret places ready to pounce on the prey. That's the way God describes sin right here. That his desire is for you, but you must master it. Similar expression is in James chapter 1. Saint, uh, similar in James 1, James 1, 13. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. 
Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. That's the problem. Sin will come and it will have a desire for us. And we will have a desire for it. Sin has an evil desire to destroy us. And then we have evil desires that want the sin. That's the contrast, and that is the conflict that is happening. Sin manifests itself in the world, the flesh, and the devil. Ephesians 2, 1 to 3. The world, the flesh, and the devil. That's how sin has its desire for us. But what must we do? We must master sin. We must have a superior master to sin. Sin wants to control us and dominate us, but we must have one that is superior to sin. Above the devil, above us, above the world. And that master is our heavenly master. If we belong to him by faith, if we belong to him, then he rules over us. And whatever he says goes, whatever he wants happens, we desire to please him and not sin. That's why he says, but you must master it. Even here, God is calling Cain to repent. He's calling Cain to repent. He's reminding Cain that you must master it. And the only way to master it is to confess his sins, to acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, for him to enter into the temple, like it says in the parable of the tax collector and and the Pharisee in Luke chapter 18, 9 to 14, 9 to 15, where it says that he would beat his breast and said, God be, and would not look up to heaven, God be merciful to me, the sinner. That conversion needed to take place in Cain. That's what he refused to do. Instead of being sorrowful over his sin, he was sorrowful for disobeying God and not receiving the blessings of God. Verse 8. Genesis 4, 8. And Cain told Abel his brother. And it came about when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and killed him. Cain told Abel. It does not say what he told Abel. Perhaps it was an invitation to go out into the field or something about God's displeasure. Perhaps that also was explained to Abel. Whatever it was, They find themselves in the field. They are in the field, and Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. What happens typically in the field, away from the population center, away from the homestead, away from the towns and the cities? What happens in the field? You can find yourself alone, and alone with someone else. And they would have known that there would be times to do that. This means that Cain was actually contemplating the murder of his brother. He prepared and framed his brother to murder his brother. This also confirms what John says in 1 John 3. Because if you hate your brother, then you are a murderer, and that murder may manifest itself, and it did in Cain's case. He manifested his hatred by actually killing. And when it says killed him in the field... When they are alone and isolated, people aren't around. People aren't around to stop it. People aren't around to witness it. People are not around to go back and report to everybody else that this is what actually happened. They're not around. This is the way those who are malicious often perpetrate their sins and crimes against innocent people, against victims. This is what they do. They find a way to frame the innocent and then destroy the innocent. Further, it says that he was killed. Killed or he was slain, as it mentions in 1 John chapter 3. This killing is murder. The biblical definition of murder is taking away innocent human life. Taking away innocent human life outside of the context of self-defense and national defense, and national defense, defense would manifest itself in warfare. And thirdly, when the government 
has a legitimate crime that deserves the retribution of capital punishment. If there is a crime against the citizens of a country that is worthy of death, then the government has the authority, after the, all the evidence is presented, investigated thoroughly, to execute the criminal. So, none of those cases are here, right? There's nothing about self-defense. There's nothing about warfare or national defense. And there's nothing about Abel being worthy of death because he committed some crime against society. Nothing like that. Abel was an innocent man. So this was the shedding of innocent human blood. This was murder. As John calls it in 1 John 3, verse 9. Now, another confrontation. We note here that God is speaking to Cain. Remember we said that those who have this superficial or temporary grace, even spiritual grace, they have access to the Word of God. Cain did with Adam and Eve. They knew what God's will was because the parents taught him. But also, God is actually personally dialoguing with Cain. Right. So he hears the Word of God. Miraculously, he hears the Word of God. 9. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? Now, when God says this, he is not saying it out of ignorance. He is saying this, this out of being an interrogator. God is a judge, a heavenly judge, and he is calling the witnesses to speak forth to defend themselves. That's what he's doing. And when the witnesses open their mouths, if they are innocent, then he can declare that and will declare it. But if they are guilty, their own words will condemn them. That's why God asked the question, not because he did not know where Abel was. Because after Cain gives a very uh, disrespectful, dishonorable answer, it, God answers his own question in verse 10. He knows that Abel was murdered and his blood is on the ground. He knows that. So verse 9, the answer of Cain. And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? See how stubborn and obstinate Cain is? I do not know. That's a lie, isn't it? Sure. That's a lie. He's saying he doesn't know. Well, he did not learn the lesson of Adam and Eve. What did Adam and Eve do? They, they were the ones who partook of the tree. And then they go and hide. Genesis 3, 8 to 10. They hide themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. How is it that Cain did not learn that? And Adam and Eve, even, when they fell, they thought they could hide from God. And God asked, where are you? And then in verse 10, 310, and he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. Afraid because I was naked. God does not need the barrier of your clothing to realize that what you have on the inside. Right. That doesn't matter. Why are you trying to hide from God? Well, just as Adam and Eve, same with Cain, both of them, in their moment of sin, and in the moment of fleeing from the shame of sin and the guilt of sin, they do away with the nature of God. They do away with knowledge that God is omnipotent, that He's omniscient, that He's omnipresent. They do away with all that. And even, even that they can escape the justice of God. Right. That they would be able to escape the justice of God. Why would they fathom that? That's what Cain did. That's why he says, I do not know, because he's not thinking along those lines. All that he sees, because he is infatuated and intoxicated by his own desires, he's blind, so he says, I do not know. He does not want to tell the truth. Am I my brother's keeper? Am I my brother's keeper? Yes. Isn't that what John said in 1 John 3? That from the beginning, Adam and Eve knew that to love God and to love their neighbor was the highest form of religion, true religion. And were there not the Ten Commandments that they broke there in the garden? 
They, they coveted, right? They coveted, they committed murder in that they brought death into the world, death to themselves and to others. Actually, they committed suicide, did they not? They committed suicide. They brought about their own death. Adam and Eve did. They uh, practiced idolatry. They wanted to be like God and worship in a way that God did not require of them and command them. So on, there are many ways in which they dishonored God and disobeyed God's word in the two greatest commandments and in the Ten Commandments. They did that. So they would have known from the very beginning, even before the fall, to love God properly. And then after the fall that they should have loved God properly. So what would they, in their state of belief after the fall, from Genesis 3, 21 onward, what would they have taught their children? Love God, love your neighbor. Obey the Ten Commandments. These are the things that they would have taught Abel and Cain. So when he says, am I my brother's keeper, he is throwing these commandments right back into God's face. That's how blatant he is, how rebellious and blatant he is. Am I my brother's keeper? The other thing that he failed to accept is noted in 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, we'll start at 19. 1 John 4, 19. We love because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. Should love his brother also. And we cannot say we love God when we hate our brother. When we hate our brother, we hate God. So how can we have the favor of God and have our countenance lifted up if we hate our brother? If we love our brother the way God requires, then we truly love God. And we will have a peaceful and proper relationship between ourselves and him. This is showing how much Cain absolutely hated God. He hated God, but wanted to use God. He hated God and loved his possessions. He wanted to use God and love his possessions. He wanted to manipulate God, pretend to be on God's side and have everything go favorable for him in this life, in this world. That's what he wanted. He absolutely hated God and showed it. Verse 10, And he said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you cultivate the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. You shall be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth. God's punishment. First in verse 10. The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. You see, it's crying out from the ground, figuratively speaking, because it's crying out for vengeance. And the Bible says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. Deuteronomy 32, 35, and 39. There is a day of reckoning Vengeance is mine. Also Romans 12, 19 to 21. Vengeance is mine, I will repay. So the blood in a figurative sense is awaiting vindication. The blood of Abel in a sense is awaiting a time of vindication. When that innocent blood that was shed is repaid and it is repaid by the perpetrator, the criminal himself. That's why he says, his blood is crying to me from the ground. So, God pronounces a curse on Cain. Remember, Cain was a farmer. Now God curses that occupation. That when Cain undertakes that occupation, there won't be any benefit. He will not have fruit coming from the ground anymore. Which means he's got to choose some other occupation or some other livelihood. And God tells him what that will be. He will be a vagrant and a wanderer. He's going to go from place to place seeking for sustenance, seeking for his livelihood. That was his punishment. Now, this punishment is not physical death. He already has spiritual death, but God could have said, because of this, you will be put to death. Either God will do it directly 
or through some person killing Cain or executing Cain because Cain deserved the death penalty. He could have done that, but he chose not to do that. And in chose, gave him a penalty that was less than death, but something that would be a burden to him. Now 13, and Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is too great to bear. Notice his complaint. My punishment is too great to bear. God could have wiped him out completely, executed him, but he says, my punishment is too great to bear. See what the wicked do? The obstinate reprobate, even when they are afflicted by God, they refuse to repent. That's what often happens. When the reprobate are afflicted by God, they refuse to repent. Examples of this refusal to repent, even though affliction comes on them, a punishment or judgment comes on them. Revelation chapter 9. Revelation 9 verse 20. Revelation 9.20 says, And the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands so as to worship demons and the idols of gold and of silver and of brass and of stone and of wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders, nor of their sorceries, nor of their immorality, nor of their thefts. They did not repent. They would not repent. And as well, Revelation. Revelation chapter 16. Revelation 16 and verse 5. And I heard the angel of the water saying, Righteous are you um, who are and who was, O Holy One, because you judge these things. For they poured out the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. They deserve it. And I heard the altar saying, Yes, O Lord God, the Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. These judgments come upon them, but they don't, don't repent. And we pick it up further in verse 11. And they blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, and they did not repent of their deeds. God brought on them just retribution, but they in turn blasphemed God. They had life, but they used life and their lips instead of repenting, confessing their sins with their lips. Instead, they blasphemed God. That's what Cain is doing here. He's complaining about his punishment. Woe is me. I can't handle it. It's too great to bear. And verse 14, he understands what God said. He understands his punishment, verse 14, and then further he complains, and it will come about that whoever finds me will kill me. Whoever finds me will kill me. He's worried that somebody else will kill him. Notice the irony. He deserves to die, but he's afraid to die by the hands of somebody else. But verse 8 says that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Right. Abel was innocent, and Cain had the audacity to kill or murder Abel. But now he's afraid. He deserves to be put to death, but he's afraid to die. See how wicked he is? How depraved? And wicked he is. Verse 15. So the Lord said to him, Therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance will be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord appointed a sign for Cain, lest anyone finding him should slay him. God, in his mercy, though Cain did not deserve any of this, God said that there would be a threat on anyone who killed Cain, who murdered Cain. Uh, or yeah, put to death Cain, and that would be vengeance sevenfold. A sevenfold vengeance on the perpetrator against Cain. So this would have been known and announced, and it would have been a deterrent for anyone killing Cain. And not only that, God appointed the sign, a sign for Cain, lest anyone finding him should slay him. He appointed a sign. It, the, the text does not say what kind of a sign it was. 
Whether it was something on his person, something around him, it doesn't say anything about that. Um, there are many, many speculations, and we don't need to go down the path of those speculations. Simply, God gave people all around Cain a sufficient deterrent to kill Cain, to protect Cain. Okay, now in this exposition, I trust it is very obvious that Cain was an unbeliever and he died as an unbeliever. He never repented. He never truly repented. Yet he received aspects of the grace of God, the mercy of God, the love of God in his life. He could have had a severe punishment than what he received in this life. Certainly, he has the punishment of hell in the life to come, but in this life, his punishment could have been severer than what he was given. Now, people from this, both scholars and laymen, have come to the conclusion that because they see some elements of God's grace in Cain's life right here, and even in the subsequent passage, that therefore Cain truly repented that Cain actually repented. There are some interpreters who come to that conclusion. But we must not come to that conclusion. We cannot come to that conclusion. We cannot come to that conclusion from the aspects that we have found in this passage, Genesis 4, but also because of what we read in Jude 11 and 1 John chapter 3. Apostolic interpretation of the Old Testament is firm, secure, accurate, reliable, authoritative, whenever the apostles interpret the Old Testament, whatever they say is true. And it is the true interpretation, the true hermeneutic, the true sense of the passages of the Old Testament. We have to keep that in mind whenever we interpret any passage of the Old Testament. They are the best interpreters. After all, they were taught by Christ. Christ taught them, and then they teach us how to understand the Old Testament. Now, for, for your information, if you wanted to study, there is one commentator in the Expositor's Bible Commentary series known as an evangelical commentary, conservative and evangelical commentary series. However, superficially it is, but substantially and really it's not in many ways. Many of the volumes in that series, they are not evangelical and conservative. John Salehammer wrote the one for Genesis, the whole book of Genesis in that series, Expositor's Bible Commentary. John Salehammer, and in Genesis 4, Genesis 4, if you look at his heading and his explanation for this passage, he speaks of Cain's repentance as a true repentance, as a genuine, valid repentance. That's the conclusion that he explains in his commentary. Expositor's Bible Commentary, the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 4. That's just one example of how people not believing in the inspiration of the Bible in the way the Bible means it and not understanding correctly apostolic interpretation and taking verses out of context within this passage, they come to the wrong conclusion. And when they come to the wrong conclusion, it has a perilous and pernicious outcome in our life. If we don't understand that there are many, many people who have exposure to the grace of God yet they're not really true believers, then we will come to the false conclusion that they are true believers. Like Cain is a true believer, and many of the people who practice wickedness all around us inside the church, whose names are John and Elizabeth, after all, how could a person with the name John and Elizabeth be an unbeliever because he goes to church? Right? That's the way we think, when actually that's not the way we should think. Because they go to church only heightens their punishment on the day of judgment. It only heightens their punishment because they refuse to truly believe and obey the gospel. Now, an example of that truth is in 2 Peter chapter 2. 2 Peter 2. Peter has been explaining how there are people who will penetrate and infiltrate the church among us. They will hear the truth but then fall away from that truth. So he says, 2 Peter 2, 20. For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world by the knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and are overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. 
For it would be better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn away from the holy commandment delivered to them. It has happened to them according to the true proverb, a dog returns to its own vomit and a sow after washing returns to wallowing in the mire. A sow after washing returns to wallowing in the mire. His point is, when he says it would be better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn away from it. Now who is that? That's Cain. Right? That's Cain and everybody else who behaves like Cain, whether in a Christian family or in a Christian church. And when he says it would be better for them not to have known it than to know it, what does he mean? He means, as Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty to 24, Then he, Jesus, began to reproach the cities in which most of his miracles were done, because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the miracles had occurred in Tyre and Sidon, which occurred in you, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Nevertheless, I say to you, it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will not be exalted to heaven, will you? You shall descend to Hades. For if the miracles had occurred in Sodom, which occurred in you, it would have remained to this day. Nevertheless, I say to you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. These three cities that saw the miracles of Christ and also heard the preaching of Christ, they will have a severer punishment because they had exposure to the truth. They had no excuse to say, well, I didn't know any better. They had the word of God and the miracles of God manifested before their very eyes by the Son of God himself, by him, firsthand, from heaven, sent from heaven, as a witness and testimony of the will of the Father. They had that and they walked away from it. So he says, yes, Sodom and Gomorrah, they will be punished on the day of judgment. They will go to hell, but it's going to be more tolerable for them than for you, you three cities, meaning the people of you three cities. You will have a severe punishment on the day of judgment. That's the same with Cain. Cain is an example of Chorazin, Capernaum, and Bethsaida. And 2 Peter 2. The hogs and the dogs of 2 Peter 2 are those who were in their own nature, true nature, they were dogs and hogs. Right. Okay? And then they cleaned up or had temporary relief of who they truly were because they were in the, the midst of the people of God. But then they resorted back, they fell back to their old ways, and they were overcome by them, and therefore they exposed who they truly were. They were never sheep. It does not say dog, sheep, dog, or hog, sheep, dog. It says dog returns to its own vomit, and a sow after washing returns to wallowing in the mire. Right. That's Cain. Abel had the true grace of God. He was saved by the true grace of God, not because he generated faith in himself, but because God granted him faith. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Philippians 1.6 and then Philippians 1.29. To you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. To believe and to suffer are gifts that God gives to his people. Abel was that. He was granted faith, given faith as a gift, not Cain. So Abel is an example of the true grace of God, of effective and sovereign grace that saves from sin and produces righteousness and holiness in one's life. And Cain is an example of this spiritual, temporary, superficial kind of faith that has some spiritual benefits and physical benefits, but he's not a true believer and never was. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. Amen.